Hey y'all, welcome to another interview from The Mind of a Skeptical Leftist. Uh, this time around, I talked to May from the YouTube channel Peace Labor May, and I don't have much to say except to um, tell you to make sure to check out her channel because this was a fun chat, a good chat, and uh, her content is awesome. Uh, I'm not a poet at all, but I enjoy uh, a lot of her poetry and I, uh, I think I, I, I'm really enjoying discovering liberatory poetry and fiction uh, that has been coming out of leftist spaces. And uh, Peace, Labor, May is a great channel with some of that content. Before I get into the actual interview, uh, I want to talk a little bit about an article I recently read. It was in the New York Times, which I normally avoid, but this title caught my attention. It, it was titled, The Bright's Big Lie About a Sexual Assault in Virginia. So, and I heard about this a while ago uh, when right-wingers on Facebook and Twitter were talking about a case of rape in a high school bathroom by someone using a trans-inclusive policy to gain entrance to the bathroom, to the girls' bathroom. Now, I understand that this is, pro like, this is the kind of thing that is on my red flags for obvious bullshit, uh, but I thought I would get, take a shot and Google it anyway, and I found a bunch of articles that shared the same facts and the same narrative and we're using the same rhetoric about it. And they were always combining a story of a girl who was being raped. And they added, like they were combining it with the inclusive, uh, trans-inclusive policy of the school. And uh, making it, framing it as though this person was trans and was using this to, um, to this, as an opportunity to rape someone in the bathroom. Uh, you know, the stereotypical scaremongering idea you know, like this fit the exact thing that they try to portray all the time. And obviously, even if one person did this thing one time, that is not a justification for the exclusion of trans people from any rights to use the washroom of their gender. Uh, there's no, there's no reason to connect this one person to the broader trans community. There's no reason for any of that, even if the facts on the ground were exactly as described in various articles. But it turns out that that's not how, how it was anyway. The guy who did the raping uh, wasn't trans at all, uh, was a cis guy, um, and was and didn't use a trans in inclusion as a purpose, as a way of getting into uh, the girl's washroom because that wasn't a policy when the rape happened, it, it didn't become a policy till after this happened. So, and apparently the guy was a, uh, uh, the ex-boyfriend of the girl that he raped and she wanted to talk to him about something. So they went to a specific room, uh, a bathroom that they could have some privacy in and have a, a conversation. And he took that as an opportunity to rape her. Um, of course, this won't make it into the right wing media sphere. Uh, they, and even if it did, they would still try to twist it up to gain, uh, Again, to try and keep trans women from using the washroom that they identify with, uh, uh, their the washroom that has, uh, matches their gender, even if they uh, they uh, if if they can twist it, they will. Uh, so this is, I hate to like say it, but this is a case of the culture war narrative coming from a white right wing media sphere and distorting facts so that they could play up a fear that they created. Uh, in order to frame their bigoted views as protecting women. And this is, I think, an example of why we on the left cannot pretend that issues like trans inclusion or bigotry against the LGBTQ community is a fringe issue that we shouldn't worry about while we focus on class. 
we absolutely need to beat TERFs and uh, right-wing lies and all that reactionary fascist bullshit wherever we see it because they are in our way. Our enemies are many and those they oppress are our comrades. That is how this has to work. But, okay, um, I'm not a fan of the New York Times, and but I will include an article, a link to the article in the show notes for this episode in case you want to read more on that. Um, but I, I really, I want to emphasize how important it is that we, we take trans liberation, uh, LGBTQ liberation seriously when we're talking about, about the issues that we want to address in society. Yes, class is a major issue, but uh, so is uh, racism. So is uh, feminism. Like these are major things that we need to be on on board with. And LGBTQ uh, liberation is no different than those. I mean, I, I guess people who listen to this probably understand my perspective already. I'm I believe that intersection, uh, the intersection of class and other forms of oppression, is all t- tied together. And I think that that we can. Uh, and ought to uh, deal with all of them as much as we can. Obviously, certain people are going to have focuses more in line with their particular struggle. But I think as on the left, uh, we need to make sure that we're supporting our uh, trans comrades. So I, I think that's everything I got to say about that. It's just, I saw this article, I read this, it's a short read. It's just a quick opinion piece about how the right has distorted this case and how uh None of the facts actually line up to what they've said in the Daily Wire or Fox or any of these other sources that you might find. And so I guess with that, uh, if you like what I do, then make sure to subscribe, share, like, and all that stuff. And if you think my work is valuable and want to support it financially, then you can do that at patreon.com slash skeptical leftist or buymeacoffee.com slash skeptical lefty. Those links are in in my link tree along with all my other stuff but you'll hear about that again at the end of the episode so now i'm going to send you to the interview thanks hi and welcome to the mind of the skeptical leftist the podcast where i talk to a variety of people to promote critical thinking progressive uh progressive politics and left-wing philosophy and today i'm joined by may of the YouTube channel Peace Labor May. <laughs> Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. So I guess uh, first things first. Uh, why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself and uh, your background? Okay, so I am from Kazakhstan, from Almaty, which used to be our capital, and uh, I've had this channel for a year now. And I'm a little bit nervous because I've never had an interview. Oh, no uh, and with all, and with all of the Zoom experience I had last year, I still can't use any of the equipment. So the sounds <laughs> off. My apologies. But yeah, I have been studying Marxism-Leninism for the past six months with the focus on Lenin, whose name I'm going to pronounce in Russian because Russian is my mother language, and I do speak Russian. Okay, I just said that twice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, yeah, and um, my videos do focus a lot on mental health and the effect capitalism has on us as individuals. 
And I don't delve too deep into theory because I think it should be accessible to everyone and we all should be able to um, learn about theory at our own pace. And I think there is a lot of ableism that we have to overcome as a community. And I also touch upon some feminist topics because I believe that a feminist movement is crucial to any leftist movement and we have to make sure that we include everyone and obviously marginalized people as well. So I probably can consider myself marginalized because I'm from a part of the world nobody ever hears about. <laughs> so, but I'm not an expert on Kazakhstan. So I know a lot of folks have a lot of questions about Kazakhstan. I do have quite a unique view because I'm a third culture kid. So obviously I live here so I can report on what's happening, but my perspective is definitely going to be somewhat different from some other folks from here. Right, right. Yeah, like I actually don't know enough about Kazakhstan to even ask about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very common. Yeah. Um, yeah, We here in Almaty, we live in a region that's surrounded by mountains, and our okay. mountains are quite famous. It is actually, and we're right on the border with China, so the, we share the mountain range it is the Tenshine mountain range and um yeah people do come to visit to hike and uh there are a lot of mountain activities here but most of Kazakhstan well Kaz and Kazakhstan is a pretty large uh place and we do have a lot of steps and we are a landlocked country so okay. these are a couple of facts I know <laughs> I live in Saskatchewan in uh, Canada, so I understand about being landlocked, but we don't have mountains here. <laughs> yeah, just wide open spaces. Uh, so I guess uh, you mentioned uh, you've been studying Marxism and Lenin like Leninism for a while. Uh, do you identify as a Marxist-Leninist then? Um, yes, uh, even though I don't necessarily find these labels to be um, necessary, uh, it doesn't really matter. Uh, right. It's just, um, I just happen to find out that these are the values that I line up the most with. And because I do primarily focus my studying on Marx, Engels, and Lenin, uh, it seems like they are influencing me the most. Right. Um, yeah, and there is a little bit of a, I, I, I feel like there is a little bit of a stigma attached to being a Marxist-Leninist. I actually learned fairly recently through social media that um, this might be something controversial. So this is why <laughs> in one of my videos where I introduce myself, I do mention in the title that I'm a leftist so that it's a little bit more welcoming to, to a variety of people. Yeah, that's... Uh, like I, I identify as like an anarcho-communist. That's kind of the, the oh. label I picked. And, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, like I, I, one of my best friends is a Marxist Leninist. I know people who are Trotskyists or whatever, everybody ad attaches different labels to themselves. Right. And yeah, as long as we can all, you know, agree that capitalism is bad and that we got to keep moving, try and change things. Yeah. So if you're an anarcho-communist, uh, do you read Karpotkin at all? I do. I, ha I have read uh, The Conquest of Bread and mm -hmm. uh, uh, the other one, Mutual Aid or Mutualism. Mm -hmm. That's a factor of evolution. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. And, uh, and I, these days I'm reading like a, a book that just came out a few years ago. It's, uh, called the anarchist turn. Uh, so it's kind of trying to put anarchism into like a, Hey, this is a project we can actually achieve in the modern era. So that's, it's really interesting, but yeah, I'm going to read it to my reading list because it keeps getting expanded and I don't think I'll have enough time to read it all. Yeah. But I'm curious. <laughs> yeah, I have about 15 minutes every two weeks that I get to read. Hmm. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, so I try to listen to a lot of audiobooks too, but. Mm-hmm. I see. So uh, one thing I did want to ask you about is because. Uh, you you speak Russian. It's your first language. Um, what made you decide to do your videos in English? Uh, well, I work in English, so I mean, and I okay. shouldn't put it in air quotes because I actually literally <laughs> do. So I have much more experience uh, speaking publicly uh, in English, and I do kind of have this vague uh, plan of starting to make content in Russian as well. But I'm a little bit intimidated. <laughs> My Russian is great, <laughs> but I'm kind of not used. I'm, I obviously talk to my family, to my friends in Russian, but yeah. And also, I think that the, um, the audience obviously is larger if you speak English. And yeah, it's uh, many factors why. But yeah, I would. So English, I do think in two languages. So English was kind of a no-brainer for me to pick. <laughs> right. Yeah, I suppose that makes sense. I uh, I recently listened to a, an episode of uh, the Coffee with Comrades podcast, and he uh, they had like uh, an, a French anarchist was part was a part of the episode was an interview with the French anarchist, and it's interesting to think like uh, the various dynamics like that. Uh, like English is such a dominant language in North America and I'm so used to it that often when I hear somebody speaking another language, I think, well, I wonder what the di- what the political sphere is like in that region or that area. Is there a lot of, are there a lot of Marxists in uh, Kazakhstan? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, again, my perspective is going to be very limited um but as far as i know the organizations we have here they are um not very well versed in what they're doing unfortunately there is one movement that may be um promising uh they are socialists and they appear to have the liberation of the working class in mind so this is one of the organizations where i think they but they I don't think they read uh, Lenin because they don't really refer to much of what he's saying in their Mm. writing. And apart from that, um, as for the population, I would say there is a lot of um, imperialist propaganda that is thriving. Uh, (laughs) And people do repeat, uh, you know, talking points that it appears like the CIA has provided. So... (laughs) It's, it's really bizarre to see when people here who actually uh, were born in Soviet Union and lived in Soviet Union, they um, start repeating some of the lies 
that used to be sprayed. I mean, the Cold War is ongoing, but um, right, right. you know, the Cold War propaganda, and it's upsetting because a lot of people. Um, well, I I think that the vast majority of people here benefited uh, from what's been happening here and, and from you know the Soviet Union. Much of what we have here, the infrastructure is all Soviet, and the apartment I live in was built in the Soviet uh, right. during that time, and pretty much everything. And that is not to say that um, um, that this is their sole achievement. However, it is to me. It's really strange when people kind of spit on their own history and <laughs> and say, well, it, it was all ultimately bad and we should forget it, which is, I think we should study. Our <laughs> doesn't, doesn't seem necessarily accurate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, we just covered a, uh, a book by uh, Michael Parenti for the, uh, we do book reviews on the show as well. My buddy, Justin, he reads a lot. So we covered... Uh, Michael Parenti's red red shirt, black shirts and, black red. Shirts and red. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And we went through a lot of the stuff, like the misinformation about the Soviet Union, and and like, like the the the. I, when I grew up, I was taught that Joseph Stalin killed like ten million people, basically on his own. Yeah. <laughs> like you, he basically just decided to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and like. I mean, once you start examining that and learning the history, it becomes pretty obvious that that's not what happened. But at, again, yeah. I, I'm not a Stalin apologist. I just like, we, I like to have the facts, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So one of the things I really liked about, like about your channel is like uh, you add poetry into, uh, into your videos. Like I want, like, where do you get the inspiration for that? Yeah, poetry has been a huge part of my life for forever. So, and I've been using poetry as a therapeutic medium, and um, uh, also definitely I was inspired by many of the Russian poets, such as Mayakovsky, who was a revolutionary poet and whose poetry is amazing. I'm not sure how he sounds in translation. Probably not as good as in Russian, but. <laughs> Um, I was hugely inspired by Mayakovsky's, and, and obviously, again, in, in English, it's going to sound quite different, so probably the influence is not going to be as obvious now, and um, yeah, here in Kazakhstan, the people, and obviously, um, Kazakhs are not a homogenous group, there were lots of um, various groups, and uh, but the culture was shared, as far as I know, uh, from what I studied, and but there is there's been a huge culture of poetry here in these lands as well, and people would sing, uh, and they would have these what I refer to as rap battles, <laughs> where okay. two poets who were called akins they would um, kind of fight each other with words and just uh, spontaneously create these songs, and they play that instrument, that string instrument that's called tambra. And it is, I mean, kind of like a banjo, I guess, or a guitar okay. of sorts, which is a traditional instrument. And uh, so reportedly people of Kazakhstan have been very much into poetry and songwriting since the dawn of time. So maybe mm -hmm. I've inherited some of that as well. <laughs> That's cool. 
Yeah, no, that's interesting. I didn't know uh, that uh, that about like rap battles. I guess like po- I well, suppose well, it makes I told sense. Them that, obviously, they weren't. <laughs> the, it's You're just right. that when you read when you read the takes, they're like they are um, trying to insult each other, but in a way that would be a little bit more. Um, I mean, they they couldn't write out insult each other, but they try to. So they try right. to outsmart and outwit each other. And it would be kind of a big deal when famous Akins did that. Yeah, I think the, the tradition kind of uh, continues, but I've never uh, watched or listened to one. I should probably do that. <laughs> that's really neat. I, I I think that's worth looking into. Yeah, for sure. So uh, one of the other things about your videos is that you talk about uh, some uh, an addiction you had to shopping. Uh, how... I wonder like about your analysis of that through uh, an anti-capitalist lens. Yeah, actually uh, this is what led me to anti-capitalism to begin with, because I was seeing just how much damage uh, this can bring and um, realizing that this isn't just about me. This is obviously I take responsibility for what I did and for the addiction. However, after analyzing the circumstances, I realized that the conditions were created to stimulate people to overindulge in certain activities and right. obviously shopping. And, and shopping is underrated, I think. People think it's kind of innocuous, you know, it's oh, it's not a big deal, all women do that, etc. etc. So it is a stereotype that should absolutely die it is not normal for anyone to want to shop excessively and it usually points to a bigger problem and obviously uh it varies from person to person and there is no rule of thumb to understand whether someone's shopping patterns are an addiction or not and it's best to examine it with a professional but in my case, I was able to see that um, I was using shopping as a coping mechanism. It was maladaptive and I couldn't just stop because, you know, this mm-hmm. is what people often say, just stop. And yeah. I realized that I was doing a lot of mental gymnastics to justify my purchases. And this is when I got scared and I thought, well, I don't think that is normal. And as I kept looking into it, I slowly realized that there is no ethical consumption under capitalism. And what about the production as well? So, and even with little stories like Ursula Le Guin's uh, Those Who Walk Away from Omelas, I think this is what the story is called. They teach it at schools, I believe. And I have a little video about it as well. Um, we all kind of are tied in this vicious cycle where we cannot um, sustainably produce and consume goods, and what can we do? So when I started looking into solutions, I realized that this whole, the, the world was not running the way it should, so. Right, right. Yeah, it, I mean, you're definitely spot on there when you say that the way that things are set up is to feed like uh, a kind of a overconsumption, right? Like everything how many ads on facebook do i see every day for things that i you know i consciously want and i probably talked about but you know 
why do I need 60 ads for headphones? You know, <laughs> like it doesn't make any sense except through the capitalist lens. Right. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's, so did you actually end up seeing like a, a, a professional for that? Or did you just manage to work your way through this, through the anti-capitalism? Yeah, I had to um, manage it on my own. Unfortunately, I didn't have access to a professional at the time. Uh, and it is an ongoing um, battle. It's I still often would resort to shopping and I've developed certain tricks not to do it in a manner that would be um, destructive. So uh, it, it's not because I have to buy things in order to live. Right. So I do have to continuously watch over myself. And as far as I know, from what I've read in the past, shopping addictions may be the hardest to treat just because you cannot cold turkey stop buying. Right. Uh, I mean, obviously, maybe your family can shop for you. But it is pretty difficult. So yeah, not everybody's going to have here. that, right? Right, and also, so you you kind of have to continuously question yourself and your motivation. Like, do I actually need this? And so, obviously, journaling, making lists, and doing you know all that um, lifestyle making lifestyle changes can help. But it is better to find uh, somebody to help, even if it's not a professional therapist. Mm. Could be somebody to check in with, could be a loved one, a friend. So, yeah, on one's own, I think it might be a very difficult thing to to live with. Yeah, I suppose it, in a sense, it could be comparable to like a, a food addiction, right? Because you have to eat, right? <laughs> Where, I mean, all addiction is hard and support is kind of important for all of it. So I don't, I don't want to discount any of that, but just trying to find a comparison that I can (laughs) relate to. Yeah, you see, it's, I can give you a little example. Uh, When I started trying to rid myself of this pattern of buying multiple things uh, unnecessarily, I would switch to various categories and I would be like, oh, so I need soap. I need different types of soap. So I have to try them all now. So I would start getting more and more various types of soap. And I would always justify it saying, well, I'm going to use it all. It's soap, right? It doesn't necessarily expire. So, and then I would hoard like a, a ton of soap. And this is where I realized again that this is not normal. And this is, and then, I mean, I do have multiples of most things. Like I have 15 pairs of cat ears. And even though I do use them every day and I enjoy them, I don't need that many. <laughs> Actually, I can, I have a direct relation uh, to my t shirt collection. <laughs> when I met my partner, she initially, she was like, that's too many t-shirts. You don't need that many. And I was like, but they all, you know, I try to wear them all. <laughs> They're all awesome. But yeah. So I guess in a sense, I kind of have an idea of what that is like, but, but I never considered it an addiction. Well, not a, not a real like debilitating uh, thing for myself, but I can see where it could be if one is making the decision to buy things instead of doing, you know, paying important bills or whatnot. 
Yeah, and having 200 lipsticks is definitely not right, a right. good thing to do because it's wasteful <laughs> too because I will never be able to use them all up, so I'll end up just throwing them away. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. So I guess uh, in the in the is there anything you'd like to promote uh, on the, my calendar? Uh, you mar- mentioned the reading of Marx, Engels, and Lenin. So I guess what is it about Marx, Engels, and Lenin? Uh, maybe all together, maybe separately. What is it about their writing that you find particularly appealing? Oh, there are lots of things. First of <laughs> all. Um, <laughs> I do agree that it is a bit intimidating to begin reading, uh, especially Marx. Uh, and if you start with the capital, everyone's favorite, <laughs> you may be, um, I would probably not recommend starting with the capital. And there are yeah, lots a- of shorter works that are way more accessible that Marx wrote. One of the ones that I uh, found to be helpful, but this is because I'm, um, I've always enjoyed philosophy, is the economic and philosophical manuscripts of 1844. I keep, I'm not very good at remembering numbers, uh, but uh, it is um, it is kind of like a raw first draft of the capital, and it does delve more into the philosophy rather than the economic history. And uh, there are also various versions available. Uh, for example, we have a comic of Das Kapital, and it is, I think it was translated from English, and I think it is available uh, to English-speaking folks. We do have it in Russian, and it's it's a good uh, beginning if, um, uh, and I don't exactly remember the authors, the, the people who were involved, but from what I've read later after that comic, it's pretty based. <laughs> so, but uh, so accessibility is one thing, but then uh, once you kind of get over the some of the maybe more archaic language and some of the concepts, you realize that this is uh, very applicable to what's happening in the world. And it's bizarre and it's eerie when you read. Um, and for me, with Lenin, it's a little bit easier because I can read him in his uh, in the original. So right. nothing is lost in translation. So um, when you read some of Lenin's analysis of what was happening before the revolution and after the revolution, you are quite astounded at how brilliant his analysis is. It was definitely not perfect, but uh, you can still learn a great deal. So again, it's not as inaccessible as we often believe. And once you get past that, initial intimidation, you may find that it's a very practical type of reading. It is not the kind of philosophy where, like Kant, who I can't read for the <laughs> life of me. It's just so boring to me. Yeah. But it, So I like how Lenin, um, Marx, and Engels, they are all practical philosophers, so to speak. Everything they're talking about can be applied to real life. And they... Um, they were trying at various points of their careers to make the writing more accessible to the common folks, so to speak, to the proletariat. Right. Uh, so this is why I believe, and, and also like Engel, Engels, I'm sorry, I um, pronounce his name in Russian here, but 
He uh, did write quite a few very short works, which are often recommended, like the uh, Socialism, uh, Utopian and Scientific, and Principles of Communism. All of these are extremely short reads. They can be done in one sitting, and they're still highly insightful. And Lenin's The State and Revolution is even by, I think that even the, I've heard from some conservatives saying that this is a great book. So okay, this is a pretty universal. Yeah, I was really surprised to see that there were quite a few folks who had absolutely no desire to promote communism or to promote the liberation of the working people. And they still found the state and, and revolution to be insightful and interesting. Right, right. I suppose, yeah. I don't know if there's a, a writer on the conservative spectrum that I would consider, you know, interesting. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm trying to think yeah. of the opposite version, and I just don't think there is one. Yeah. Unless you go into, you know, maybe some really old conservative writing where they didn't maybe. even conceive of that yet. But yeah, that's, maybe. <laughs> everybody who writes uh at least in the semi-modern age is kind of like really hackish so <laughs> so you have for the foes and comrades sec section you have uh, a shout out for our comrade support on reddit so what is what is our comrade support yeah, so this is a little community we started in spring, so it's fairly new. So I asked uh, on um, the subreddit communism if there was a community dedicated to mental health support, and I was pointed in, into the direction of this uh, subreddit, and it was uh, dead uh, for a while, okay. and uh, we decided to revive it. Uh, and so far, the revival has been up and down. We do have a little bit more participation, but I think it is something that is very often overlooked. We, most of the people who I've encountered who are even left-leaning uh, seem to have uh, higher levels of distress due to the fact that they see why uh, we were the world we live in is the way it is. So it is a depressing state of being for all <laughs> of us. But once we see the whys, we may also experience a lot of anger and frustration and disappointment and bitterness. So I think it's very important not to be alone in these states because, again, they may lead to harm. Uh, and I think that even talking about, even complaining and ranting about uh, what we see in the world has its place. And we don't necessarily want to have this infiltrate, let's say, our study groups. We do, we do want to focus on topics at hand. So I think it's important to have a dedicated uh, space to just vent, frust uh, vent out our frustrations and to just talk about whatever it is on our mind in a in an environment where people would understand where we where, where we're coming from okay. and i think we've been uh, moderately successful with unity uh and we do have a discord 
which I admit I've never used before. And I feel kind of like an old lady, you know, the things I'm like, oh, what are all these modern young people things? But um, yeah, it, our Discord is active. Um, so yeah, I would like more people to join and hopefully we can help each other. That's awesome. Yeah, like, I guess, uh, I suppose I, I, I started, I got my start online uh, in kind of the atheist and skeptical movement. So I was always in arguments and, you know, doing this and that and debating or whatever. And as I've moved uh, farther left, I've, I have less patience for it now. <laughs> like, it was like when, I, when the stakes were low, I was able to argue nonstop all day, but now that the stakes are like literally like the welfare of humanity, <laughs> I have way less patience for people who are on the right or even, you know, liberals or centrists. Like it's, mm-hmm. it can be very uh, frustrating and, and very daunting. So it's great to have a place where people can support each other. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I might have to. Uh, as far as uh, Discord goes, I I have multiple Discord servers that I'm involved in, but I'm I have no idea how to use it. <laughs> I'm one of the old people that are like, <laughs> yeah, just like what's going on there? Yeah, yeah, we've got to play with all the young people. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I guess, um, what kind of uh, content do you think you'll be putting out in the future? Like, is it going to be uh, kind of just the same same kind of idea as you're doing now, like poetry and just discussion of uh, various issues, or or do you want? Are you going to go further into theory or? Yeah, the, I have uh, quite a few videos pre-filmed for fall, and uh, they are uh, very similar to what I've already have. Um, put out there and but I do have plans to I wish I had more time to do the kind of videos the the more classic bread tube videos if you will right. you know or with a lot with the ones that would be a bit heavier on theory um and I did make a few of those videos that I think uh kind of flew under the radar and um oh but I do want to keep reading and keep sharing and whatever um, whatever happens, happens. So, yeah, I don't have any strategic plans and we'll see how it goes. But I wish I could make longer, um, more theory-based videos, but I don't think it's going to be possible. Yeah, like I, I really admire the people that have the time for that, but I, I've got kids and I've got, you know, I work... Uh, I work a lot, like so. It's uh, I'm amazed that I'm I manage to do what I can do. (laughs) I'm much better at interviewing, anyway. (laughs) I uh, yeah. So I guess if you had to pick uh, a particular, like, uh, say, piece of theory that you think would be the most accessible to people, which would that be? Just one. (laughs) Well. Um, Maybe well, I think <laughs> if a person is interested in learning about the base, I got cut short when I wanted to recommend uh, the principles of, of communism. 
I think it, it's just a few pages long and it does give you a view which you can realistically read in like 15 minutes and then get inspired to probably read the Communist Manifesto, which is, I think, the second shortest out of them all. Well, no, the three components of Marxism, three sources and three components of Marxism by Lenin is also ex extremely short. But I think uh, for a beginner, it may be, you know, Lenin's style is, uh, he's got his own voice, you know, and sometimes he may sound a little agitated and angry to those who are not used to it. Like he does use certain pejoratives often. So probably starting with the uh, principles of communism and the communist manifesto. So I'm going to be very banal here with my recommendation. <laughs> Uh, that sounds good to me. I've actually read the communist manifesto and uh, I found it very accessible. Like uh, it was one of the, because I, I started off with anarchism. So uh, it was one of the ones where I was veering off into new territory kind of. <laughs> so it was very, uh, I thought it was really good. So I guess, uh, is there anything that we haven't mentioned that you would like to uh, make sure people know about? Well, I can talk about a lot of things for a long time, but I know sure. um, it's probably <laughs> not the best idea right now. So yeah, uh, subscribe to my channel and watch all of my videos where I rant about all of the topics and I blame capitalism. Um, well, we do have to <laughs> hold ourselves accountable too. Obviously, not everything is capitalism's fault, but we do a have to is. begin... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but um, I just don't want because you know we do when we start personifying capitalism, we kind of make it into this boogeyman, and this is easier for us to then uh, see ourselves as separate. But we are in it, and we so we are a part of this, whether we choose to or not. And this is why we do have to realize that we all have a role, and it doesn't mean that we have to throw ourselves into a revolution, but it means that we have to at least begin to learn from the history, from its mistake, mistakes, and see what it is we can do, because we all have various talents and various uh, situations in life, so it's important to realize that everyone has a role in the movement. What uh, I guess before we get too uh, close to finishing here, I what are your thoughts on the concept of a revolution and how do you think, like, is this going to be an educational revolution or is there going to have to be like uh, a kind of a, I know people talk about a violent revolution, but I'm not entirely sure if I'm on board with that necessarily, <laughs> but also I'm not necessarily against it. So I, I don't know quite where I sit. I'm curious where you sit. Yeah, yeah, this is a complex issue, and this is something that uh, a lot of people, whenever you bring up communism, people are like, oh, a bloody revolution, oh no, this is... <laughs> well, uh, finishing up on the revolution, the Great October Revolution, the act itself only took one life, but the Civil War obviously took millions, and the Civil War was, uh, the, the, the imperial forces did come in, supporting the reactionary forces. So it was an invasion. Uh, and obviously it was a complete disaster. Um, 
we did see as i just recently read that we did see a huge uprising in the united states last year alone there were so many protests and many of them ended up being violent um so however it didn't seem to lead to any kind of centralization of the proletarian forces so i think that we might have to diversify and we might have to learn that in the modern world we will need modern solutions and we'll probably not be able to have this kind of a once white revolution in um, in a lot of places so we'll probably have a mix of some violent protests and some strikes and there are strikes that are ongoing all over the world recently there were strikes huge strikes in india uh, there are ongoing strikes in russia which we don't hear about interestingly but they are beginning they are beginning to um, propose political demands as well, not only economic demands, which Lenin said is a great sign because the proletariat is realizing its role in, in the history of humankind. Right. So they're beginning to demand uh, that the means of production are returned to them. So That's awesome. So we'll, we'll probably see a huge mix of everything all over the world and uh, the obviously we don't want anyone to to be hurt, but it's unfortunately not up to us. We can't just be like, oh, let's just all be friends <laughs> and dismantle <laughs> yeah. capitalism. I mean, I wish. Yeah, like I've I've recently started looking into uh, the idea of a general strike uh, and trying to find organizations that are involved in that kind of organizing um, in Canada. The, uh, and and I know that in the past there's been general strikes and you get uh, capital and the police and the government. They like to crack down on that and they really like often they're the ones that are going out and causing the harm first and then strikers and protesters retaliate and, you know, and then it gets out of hand or whatever. But it's usually, you know, I, I think that we have, like you say, we have to like organize in various ways, but. Hopefully not too many people get hurt. Yeah, that's always the hope and the dream. <laughs> so I guess uh, in closing, where can people find your content? So here on YouTube, uh, my channel is called Peace Labor May. And I'm also on PeerTube, which is a decentralized, federated alternative to YouTube. And I do have a channel of the same name there. My writing can also be found on Write As, which is a this weird little <laughs> website, but it's um, very clean looking. So a lot of folks have been enjoying that. So, um, yeah, very this cool. is where you can find me. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for uh, your time. And I, it's too bad the internet was kind of messing with us, but I'll, I'll, I'll work around it. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me and have a great day. You too. Night. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> all right. That's all folks. Thanks for watching and or listening. Uh, remember to share this show with your friends and on the social media site that you use the most. I want to say thank you again to everyone who supports the show on Patreon. It's really appreciated and it helps me spend more time on this and my other projects when I'm not at work so that I don't have to work as many gig hours. 
Uh, if you want to contribute, you can do that at patreon.com slash skeptical leftist, or you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash skeptical lefty. If you can't contribute financially, then a five-star rating and a review on your podcast app of choice or one of the podcast review sites like Podchaser would be great. If you want to find more from me, then you can check out the show notes or check my link tree. That's linktr.ee slash skeptical Corey. You can find all my social media stuff there, as well as links to my other shows, which include Skeptarchy, which is a panel show I do with some very smart people, uh, From Many People's Strength, which is a show about Saskatchewan politics, and a new project I'm involved in that's called the Atheist Humanist Leftist Revolutionaries with my friend Damien Marie at Hope. My Twitter is at Skeptical Lefty, and my Facebook page is at, is the Mind of a Skeptical Leftist. Or you can send me a friend request, which is uh, facebook.com slash cjbrainstorm. I accept most friend requests. You can also email me at mindofaskepticalleftist at gmail.com. And if you want to be a guest on the show or know someone I should reach out to, then feel free to let me know. You can book interviews in my available time slots on my Calendly, which you can find on my link tree. Uh, thanks so much for listening. And let's just all try to be kind to other leftists and to all people and even if we think they're wrong. Uh, the battle that we are fighting is an uphill one and has many obstacles, and we will need all the confidence we can get.